Good morning. The scripture reading today is from Revelation 18, verses 1 through 7, 11 through 13, 19 through 20. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is human souls. Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. This is the word of the Lord. Buenos dias. La lectura esta mañana viene del libro de Apocalipsis, capítulo 18. Después de esto vi a otro ángel que bajaba del cielo. Tenía mucho poder y la tierra se iluminó con su resplandor. Gritó a gran voz, ha caído, ha caído la gran Babilonia. Se ha convertido en morada de demonios y en guarida de todo espíritu maligno, en nido de toda ave impura y detestable. Porque todas las naciones han bebido del excitante vino de su adulterio. Los reyes de la tierra cometieron adulterio con ella y los comerciantes de la tierra se enriquecieron a costa de lo que ella dispalfarraba en sus lujos. Luego oí otra voz del cielo que decía, «Salgan de ella, pueblo mío, para que no sean cómplices de sus pecados, ni los alcancen ninguna de sus plagas, pues sus pecados han amontonado hasta el cielo, y de sus, y de sus injusticias se ha acordado Dios. Páguenle con la misma moneda, denle el doble de lo que ha cometido, y en la misma copa en que ella preparó bebida mezclada, eh, mezclenle una doble porción. En la medida en que ella se entregó a la vanagloria y al arrogante lujo, denle tormento y aflicción. Los comerciantes de la tierra llora, llorarán y harán duelo por ella, porque no, ha, no habrá quien les compre sus mercaderías, artículos de oro, plata, piedras preciosas y perlas, lino fino, púrpura, telas de seda y escarlata, toda clase de maderas de cedro, los más variados objetos hechos de marfil, de madera preciosa, de bronce, de hierro y de mármol, cargamentos de canela y especies aromáticas, de incienso, mirra y perfumes, de vino y aceite, y harina refinada y trigo, 
de ganado vacuno y de corderos, de caballos y carruajes, y hasta de seres humanos, vendidos como esclavos. Harán duelo y llorarán lamentándose a gritos. ¡Ay, ay de la gran ciudad, con cuya opulencia se enriquecieron todos los dueños de flotas navieras! En una sola hora se ha quedado destruida. Alégrate, oh cielo, por lo que ha sucedido. Alégrense también ustedes, santos, apóstoles y profetas, porque Dios, al juzgarla, les ha hecho justicia a ustedes. Palabra del Señor. Thank you, Rachel and Oscar. Uh, throughout this Advent season in the pulpit, we have been working through a special series called A Weary World Rejoices. And we've been rotating through uh, several different preachers across our Grace DC network. That's our uh, family, extended family of three congregations, uh, Grace Downtown, Grace Mosaic, and Grace Meridian Hill, our congregation. Today, we have the special joy of having our uh, friend and brother, uh, Pastor Glenn Hoberg, lead pastor of Grace Downtown here today uh, to bring God's word to us. And so let's all welcome Pastor Glenn together at this time. <laughs> Good morning, church family. So glad to be with you, and uh, everybody's so surprised that uh, I got here on time because you know we we do this little uh, run from. Uh, I was just at Mosaic preaching, wonderful time with them, but uh, you know. Uh, Russ and Joel have taken to wear investments now, you know, and so, so they dress you up in those vestments, and I, I wasn't sure I'd be able to get out of the clothes just to make it my way here, you know, but uh, thankfully it all happened, God's grace, um, and I am so glad to be able to celebrate with you during this Advent season, and uh, would you pray with me? We are a favored people, even as we suffer, even as we struggle, Lord. We are favored because we have your promise and we have your face shining upon us. Would you please um, show us that by making us alive through the word of your Son? In Christ's name, amen. Well, as Duke said, we're doing this series, and when we were, um, you know, picking the series and dividing it out um, with the topics, Russ said, uh, I'll take coming reunion. And Duke said, I'll take coming victory. And I got coming judgment. <laughs> so I'm the bad elf this year. Uh, but in all fairness, it's a theme that runs straight through this wonderful book of worship, book of Revelation as the angels unveil the bowls and the seals and the trumpets, God's judgment. And in reality, friends, without judgment, there is no reunion, there is no victory, there is no feast. But it's still hard for us to get on board with it. I, you know, as we hear, rejoice over her, O heaven and you saints, for God has given judgment to 
Uh, rejoice? I don't know. How do, we, how do we feel our way through that? Now, to be clear, the Bible teaches that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And the very reason that uh, Jesus Christ delays his advent, his coming, is because he is hoping more and more people will turn to God from judgment. So even as you, in your own suffering, where you're feeling, how long, O Lord, how long? Remember, there's a merciful end, really, that God is moving toward. But it's still a struggle for us, and some of, especially for those of us um, located in a certain cultural experience. And I would include myself in this. Uh, Croatian-born theologian, Yale theologian, Miroslav Wolf has had this observation. He said that often those that have been raised in the quiet suburbs of the rest of the West struggle with this idea of judgment. But if you've been raised in a culture where your city has been leveled, your sons and daughters um, have been assaulted or executed, your own husband, then the idea of a God who would not get angry and execute judgment is not worthy of our worship. We understand that justice is a good thing when it comes properly. And it raises the question, well, what about forgiveness then? Well, the, the Christian gospel doesn't te teaches that God forgives sin, but it doesn't teach he forsakes justice. The gospel is all about this idea that God brings the justice upon himself in the person of his son. And the truth is, in reality, much wicked and evil will not stop unless it's made to. And for those of us that see that and bear that burden, it gets wearying, doesn't it? It gets wearying day after day. And this is why it's so important that the second coming of the Son of God be a vital hope for you and I. And it brings us to our passage on judgment and this idea of Babylon. And I'm going to take a quick commercial break to grab some water. I'm a lightweight. You know, I only preach once a Sunday. <laughs> I have to preach twice. Oh, my throat. Anyway, let's get back to this idea of Babylon. What does it mean? And context helps us a bit here. So I, I want to pull back. I felt like uh, Pastor Duke did such a great job in just giving us context when we talked about the dragon. Um, so, uh, you know, the author, Tolkien, said about, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, said about this idea of shadow, evil. Shadow can only mock, it cannot make. That is to say that evil can mutate, but it can't create. It can create a parody, a distorted version. And you see this in the book of Revelation where there's sort of like a bizarro world. You know, bizarro world, if you're familiar with that idea, you know, you've got the, the good superheroes and then sort of like the bad mirror image. And in the book of Revelation, of course, we've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but then there's also an unholy trinity. The dragon, Satan, 
the beast, which are worldly powers, and then the false prophet, which is religion as a tool for the state. And so these three things are in the background, but there's a contrast not only between players, but also places. There's the city of God contrasted with the city of Babylon. And while Babylon was a real ancient city, historical city, in the book of Revelation, it represents the hub of self-indulgence and selfish ambition. It is the ultimate consumer at all costs city. And you could hear it as it was read. Those that acquire gold and silver and jewels and flour and horses and chariots. And maybe as you heard that thing read, right? I mean, I mean, all these wonderful good gifts that God has made, but brought to us by the exploitation of human beings, human souls, as we're told. And so the inhabitants of Babylon use it like a harlot. That's a theme that runs through Revelation. In fact, in chapter 17, Babylon is described as a harlot that is tricked out in scarlet and jewels, alluring those that are driven by their sensual pleasures while it drinks the blood of the messengers that God sent as a word of salvation. And that portrait of Babylon, rather than to slight the female gender, actually serves to depict men's lust and greed, like pornography does. And so, in contrast, the city of God is depicted as a stunning bride in bright, clothed light, in a place of grace and service in love. And so, it's that contrast between the city of God, the shining bride, a place of grace, selflessness, and love contrasted with Babylon, a place that is used, but also uses those that use her, a place that is just driven by acquisition at all expense, a place that is driven by setting up heaven on earth, personal peace, affluence, and comfort, and riches. But that gets us in to the two points I want to spend a little time on, and that is the Babylon without and the Babylon within. The Babylon without, the Babylon within. So again, a little context. Vern Poitras, who is a New Testament scholar, as he's talking about the context at that time, says, the kings of the earth grew rich through the concentration of power in the Roman Empire. And they built their estates on the backs of slaves. Merchants and sailors stood to profit from the trade in luxury items. And so that's why in our passage you find this in a list of all the way from the top to the bottom, if you were, the kings, the merchants, down to the sailors, to the, even the musicians, and every level of culture, every level of culture, it is working together. It's organic. But it's also coordinated in effort. There's this collusion in cooperation between the culture and the state and the church and religion to exploit its victims. In fact, in chapter 17, Babylon is described as riding on the back of the beast, the back of the worldly powers. All that to say is that evil and sin is both systematic and systemic. And there I went and said a bad word. Well, what I mean is right now, 
uh, a lot of Christians are getting triggered by this idea of systematic, systematic, systemic thinking. Isn't this just code for liberal politics and liberal theology? Friends, I just want to appeal that we not lose our theological minds. It's a biblical concept. But if you don't believe the Bible, let me point to organized crime. You know, I was watching this interview with, uh, it was about Dutch Schultz, one of the gangsters in the 1920s. And they were actually interviewing one of his bad dudes, one of his strong arms. But this time, the guy don't look too strong because he's, he's about 95. And they're interviewing him, and there he is in this chair, but he's still playing the part. He's decked out in this shiny suit. The pants are sort of pulled up to here. He's got a hat on, and then he's got sunglasses on the entire interview. And his son, for some strange reason, his adult son is dressed the same way. I didn't understand that. So basically, he begins to tell the story of sort of the origin of organized crime, saying, well, you know, lucky Luciano, he basically said, hey, we got to get this thing organized. And of course, he had families in his mind, because that's how they thought about life. So we're going to have five families. And we're going to have our turf, and we're going to have this thing systematized, and it's going to be systemic. Things are going to work between the politicians, and things are going to work before the people in the culture, in the mayor's office. The point is what? Evil and sin is systemic. It's systematic. It's just the nature of sin. It's the nature of evil. It's the nature of wickedness. And we find it in this very, in this very passage before us. We find in it the pleasure-addicted society conspires with the power-addicted state. And it doesn't begin and end there. Again, this commentator that I mentioned. In modern society, those who are in positions of power, whether in government, industry, commerce, or entertainment, grow rich frequently through unscrupulous practices. Others profit from serving those in power. Typically, such people cannot bear to see a change in status quo, for it threatens the comfort of position and power. But sadly, uh, we don't have to imagine what this is like, because in our nation's own history, we have a Babylon story, do we not? A nation that was built on the backs of slaves and immigrants. And more so, we even have the church in its complicity. That got me thinking about a book. Have y'all heard of this book, Reparations? <laughs> Maybe you have. Well, in that book, there's a chilling illustration, you may have heard it, but I'm going to use it again, of a Presbyterian church not too far from Washington, D.C., in Virginia, that financed their pastor's salary and their own tithes by the slaves that they leased out. Here you have the false prophet, right? And I have no doubt the false prophet gave them language to whitewash and justify it and still leave Sunday service with a smile. Just like he's given benefits of white folk like me, words to justify benefiting from the system, but thinking it's blessing from God. Or, as the church continues with its endless project of trying to elect a Christian beast, we go on and on and on with this collusion between the beast 
and the false prophet and the dragon in Babylon. An alliance between worldly power, worldly religion, and worldly culture. And my friends, that's what makes it so wearying. Because who can stand against that? Who can wake up and stand against that level of complicity? History on repeat. And for those that suffer from it, especially, but also those that seek to resist it, one tyrant is deposed, another comes up, one trafficker's caught, another starts up business, one scandal, another scandal, one scheme, another scheme, one victim, another victim. It gets weary. I so appreciated that prayer that our sister gave. It's wearying. And so we would say, come, Lord Jesus, come yesterday. <laughs> come last year. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring your judgment. And he does come. Every time righteousness and justice moves a click forward, every time there's rejoicing in the courtroom, every time a victim is liberated, he's come. But what a day it's going to be, my friends, when the world will never be stained again with any of the things that I mentioned. We will walk through a city and we will never in our mind wonder what's happening behind closed doors. We won't have broken hearts day after day after day as people we love and neighbors in our city suffer under the thumb and the crushing blow of the dragon, of the beast, of Babylon, and the false prophet. And so when that judgment comes, we're told that just like Babylon gave double, merciless, double to its victims, the Lord will come back and give double. And that city that was so you know, prosperous, that city that was just so uh, teeming with all these different things and all these amenities will be like a haunt. It'll be like a bombed out city. And we will say hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to, to our God for his judgments are true and just. And the down payment, the promise that God has given us is how do we know that's going to happen? Because he came once. Jesus came once. The son of God came, he lived, he entered into our world, he ministered amidst this oppression. He faced the beast, he faced the false prophet, he faced the dragon, he walked through Babylon, completely sinless. And he gave it a death blow. And as he rose from the dead, he will return, and judgment is certain. It's not iffy. We need to remember judgment is certain. It's just a matter of time when justice will reign. The Babylon without. But what about the Babylon within? The book of Revelation, Satan has a two-pronged attack. One is persecution, the other is seduction. That's why we hear, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Like Lot's wife, all of us are tempted to look back at Sodom and go, ah, you know. And we mourn when our amenities go down, don't we? <laughs> We're like those. 
We feel it in our hearts. I mean, the beast is security at any cost. The false prophet is lies at any cost. And Babylon is pleasure at any cost. It's when you and I feel our desires in overdrive. When we feel our minds are just like billboards filled with, you know, the treasures of Babylon, the treasures of the world. Where we feel like our heads turn at every offer. The lust that we feel deepen in, the visions we have for success, the daydreams we have, the comforts that we enjoy, the prosperity, all these things, the temptation we have to use the city. Washington, D.C. has a long heritage of people using the city just like Babylon, using it as a playground, using it as a launch pad. And so all these things, we find ourselves in our heart, whatever you and I believe that would make heaven on earth. And the promises and enticements are endless and they feel relentless. And I have to tell you, there are days where I am just so tired of what goes on in my heart. I'm so tired of the desires that just pull me, the tug of war, the fight, the lusts that I feel. And, I, and the fact that I'm like, I'm still dealing with it. I'm still fighting it. And I know you have your own. The Babylon within. But my friends, I, I want to remind you that actually the struggle is evidence of God's grace. Because you're not just ones mourning over the loss of Babylon. You're mourning in a beatitude style. Blessed are those that mourn over their own sin. Mourn over the fact that the kingdom of the world encroaches on the kingdom of God in their heart. Beloved, it's evidence that God is at work in you. He's working in the struggle so we can echo the Apostle Paul who would say, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. What a wretched man am I. But we can also echo, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The struggle itself is the proof in the presence of the grace of Christ in your life. And one day... The sulking beast within, the sulking beast of Psalm 73. If you ever feel like you're in some self-pity, read that psalm. Because the psalmist looks around and he sees what everybody else got. And he sulks. He wants Babylon. He lusts for more prosperity. But by God's good grace, at the end of it, he comes to his senses and he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Babylon is falling every day in your heart. It's falling every day, every moment it's falling. And the good news is that Jesus Christ is nearing every day. And for that, we have reason to hope this Advent. We have reason to sit here and sing praises like we did as long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Chain shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. That's describing us. 
That's what we're doing. So let's press on again through this Advent. Would you pray with me? We are grateful, Lord, for the city of God. We're grateful for our Savior, the King. We're grateful for this reminder that we're not just running around in circles. But we're moving ahead. We're progressing in this Advent. And I pray for your blessing on us. In Christ's name, amen.